I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice. And this is our Strada Bianca recap. If you want the full men and women's recap in one file, it's one file on the podcast players. And if you're watching on YouTube, we've got a separate YouTube video for the Strada Bianca women's race. First, we're going to do the men's race from Siena to Siena, 184 kilometers of rolling Tuscan hills, a lot of like 50 k's of gravel, I think 11 or 12 gravel sections, the last of which was a short one called the Siena section after Le Tolfe with like 11 kilometers remaining. Uh, the nastiest one is La Tolfe, which is quite steep, actually. I think that's where Teish Benut might have attacked a few years ago. Obviously, you know the, fi- the finish by now. Inter Siena Piazza del Campo, there's a 500-meter section of like 12 to 16% on paved, narrow, wind, or not wind, road up to uh, the Piazza, and then it levels off for the last 400 meters, 500 meters. Um, so... Really interesting parkour, a lot of exciting racing. Before we talk about this stacked start list, I want to mention our show partner for the entire year, Lacole, www.lecol.cc. They support the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast and make it possible. They're massive fans of pro cycling at Lacole and produce performance cycling apparel to make designed, to make you go faster. And at the moment, they've got 10% off for your first order on the website, as well as all their bundles, pro bundle, sport bundle. Uh, if you're going into summer, as Benji claims he is in Belgium, I haven't seen the uh, the data on that. Still looks like 10 degrees to me, which is uh, firmly full length, length leg and arm warmers. Nicole got them if you need them as well. Lots of stuff at the moment, so go and check that out, as I said, at www.lacole.cc. The start list was absolutely stacked. Wal van Aert, last year's winner, leading Jumbo Wiesmer, obviously. Mathieu van der Poel for Alpes and Phoenix, um, who didn't have as good a race last year. The pretty strong team around him, Jonas Rekert, Vakoj, Jani van Miersch, etc. Jakob Fulsang did pretty well, looked strong last year. He lined up for Astana. Uh, Julian Alphilippe obviously needs to be mentioned. Probably maybe the most balanced rider in the world, leading to Kearney Quickstep, Betty Old did well last year for EF. Weakish team for Bora, no Shuckman, and four of those left for UAE. Speaking of UAE, Pagacha, apparently they're co-leader with Formolo, but Benji and I were much, much higher on Pagacha this year. Uh, and Ineos, quite an interesting team. Kwiatkowski injured, I think, from a crash before earlier in the week. Pidcock and Egan Bernal lining up as well. So they were some of the main names. I have a question. Uh, I'm... I'm I miss anyone, Benji? What's your question? Why is he or she not here? I don't know. On paper, yeah, we... it would fit right. <laughs> we haven't um, spoken about it, but... <laughs> I don't know. Are we journalists? Will UAE answer our questions? Probably not. So I don't know why he's here. <laughs> he's doing Catalonia, I think. But yeah, you're right. 184Ks, uh, attacks early, should suit him punchy finishes um i would have 
picked him for top 10. I don't know how he handles on the on the gravel, Benji. Who knows? Um, but pretty stacked field. i got to say it was much, much stronger field than last year, I think, all around. And a rider's in better shape, I think. It's in its normal time slot this year. Uh, in terms of the betting before the race, it was Alaphilippe, Wampanoag, and uh, Van der Poel. Pretty much all about $6, uh, give or take a, a few bucks each way. Wampanoag, maybe the nominal favorite, but they're all pretty close. No one could really pick between those three. I liked Wampanoag. I didn't believe the Yumbo Visma. He's coming from altitude and a bit overweight. Uh, comments, and we'll see how it played out in this race. Run us through how it started, Benji, um, and maybe as we got live coverage, what was happening. Yes, I'm not going to go into who was in the initial first breakaway in the race because eventually when the live broadcast started, they were already gone. And it really started and kicked off not so long after the broadcast started with attacks from Andreas Kron of Lotus Sudal already showing the entire preseason that he's one to look at. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in the rest of the classic season. Johnny Van Meers and Serrano were following that. We spoke about Serrano as well in the Movistar preview. An underrated rider that comes from Caja was also, I think, 21st in Omelope and Eastblood. So uh, a Spanish rider on the cobbles, pretty good. I love it. Awesome. But um, we saw a crash not so long after that. We saw that UAE rider went down. People were questioning whether it was Polans or Pogacar. Eventually, a rider named Pogacar came from the back and came back to the peloton. So must have been him in the crash. And then a few kilometers later, let's say 60 kilometers to go roughly, we had consecutives attack. An attack left, an attack right, an attack left, an attack right. Because this is where the race really starts with the majority of the sandy section, the gravel sections. And we're closing into like roughly 10 kilometers after that, we have the Monte Santimari. But those consecutive attacks actually led to something. And those attacks already included the big guns because at a certain point you saw that Alaphilippe was in second wheel just behind Ballerini trying to control a gap that was brought up by a few people attacking at the front like Greg van Avermaet and so forth. And a good two kilometers later, a proper attack of Greg van Avermaet led to a bit of an attack of a larger group getting away. And it was a bit of a questionable thing because I'll talk with you about it in a second. But Greg van Avermaet, Simmons, Asgren, Formolo, Dole, Foss, Vakoc, Bilbao, Izaguirre, Juniette, Stannard, Schmidt. Those are all riders from different teams, which means that... Harper. Yeah, Harper as well. Was it Harper or Foss? Because the thing he said, Foss, under under the screen. I thought it was Foss or someone else. <laughs> or was it Vingegaard? <laughs> Maybe it was Vingegaard. I don't know. Obviously, Harper and Vingegaard look exactly the same. Sorry, I interrupted you, Benji. Yeah. Um, did you think that that group was going to play a role? Because, like... You've got I thought all these so, well, different teams. Well, what I didn't get was Yumbo Visma put it, whoever the Yumbo Visma rider, there, there was someone in yellow in that lead group. It's <laughs> like Yumbo Visma put a guy there, but then they're chasing. So um, wouldn't they just, if they're going to chase it, um, why not just leave him back in the group to help work for Wapana? Uh, Yumbo Visma, paran- well, not, not paranoid. Paranoid is when you probably don't have a justification to do something. They were very attentive. <laughs> at keeping Wat Van Aert at the front of the group uh, at this point early in the race. This is why Strade is such an exciting race because it can pop off with 60 to go, 65 yep. to go. Um, and that's why on these sections, Yamba Visma were keeping Wat Van Aert right at the front. Similarly, Alaphilippe was just following him. Bernal was right up there, I think. Bernal following... Um, 
Kwiatkowski, who was still there at this stage and staying up there. Peacock was kind of mid-pack, I think. But no, I didn't I didn't think they were going to stay away, Benji, despite being threatening, mainly because Yama Visma immediately decided to shut it down. Um, and I think a lot of the riders there were just there, sent there to sit on because they had no, the, like Askren and stuff were sent into that group so that they could then sit on because they, say, they can say, oh, we were Alaphilippe behind. But if everybody does that, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, but what did you think? Do you think it had a chance? Uh, I've, I don't know. Like the thing about the riders who were in the front group, like you mentioned, are they're not necessarily satellite riders, but they're riders that are up there that could do something if the group behind comes back to it. And that would be a good situation. But then again, this group had every team. So no team at the back was like, oh, I should really pace until Yumbo to control there. And that was like, I don't know, two minutes later, something like that. And I generally believe that that group could be useful in the end. But Vanat said, and nope, this ain't happening. He put two guys yeah. at the front ahead of him and they kept ramming it. Uh, I think it was almost on the Monte Santimari where they uh, where they started really hammering it with uh, with Jumbo there. And that group had Formula go off the front for like a tiny bit, had like 20 meters, but he got caught again. And the second that Jumbo caught that group, we saw that Quinn Simmons went solo. And yeah, we know that not everybody likes Quinn Simmons, but we're talking about the racing aspect here. He looked extremely strong, extremely strong today. And it was Van Aert himself that took over the front of that group and started chasing Quinn Simmons, which I was like, oh my God, Van Aert must be feeling godlike today because if you're going to start on the Monte Santa Marie, already pacing down Quinn Simmons with Alaphilippe in your wheel, with Van Der Poel in a terrible position once again. Can we talk about that? Van Der Poel's position on this one. Why, I think that's why he was pacing. Yeah. But I, I think yeah. it was a reactive thing, Benji. I think he saw yeah. Van Der Poel deep in the field and he's like, well, okay, this wasn't my plan, but if I could put a gap between me and Van Der Poel with less effort than if he was right on my wheel, why not accelerate if I feel good? I think tactically it was a good move. Yep. And because Simmons is Simmons had probably top five legs today. So and I think the other riders know how good he can be on this sort of parkour. He looks so good at Bernard Drome and this parkour suits him more. So um I think it was good for Wavanar to follow Simmons and what how many Ks was that Benji when it kicked off? Like 50, 52, 51, something like that. So no, fifty two. So already Already we're having race-defining selections. And when yep. Wild Art starts to motor and move, it's a race-defining selection. Everyone has to kick into a gear. Uh, so that was pretty much – they formed a pretty large group, a strong group already of race favourites. And I think if you were watching the broadcast, you saw a rider in a red, white, and light blue Tricolor National Champs jersey bridging across <laughs> to that group. and. If you were attentive, it was Genietz, not yes. Vanderpool. It was a, it was crazy, the Luxemburger. And everyone was like, what? <laughs> and Vanderpool was so far back. Uh, but yeah, Genietz bridged across to them. Bernal, Alaphilippe, I think, were there. Pogaccio yes. was there with the Wild Van Aert move initially. Pidcock uh, and Gogol was there already, I think, quite quickly. Pidcock and... Van der Poel, uh, yeah, Pidcock and Van der Poel were behind and quite deep, but we saw Van der Poel moving up through the bunch as if they were in a different race. Simmons was there already, obviously. And then I don't know how many Ks later it was, Benji, but Van der Poel pretty much teleported 
<laughs> suddenly he was in that front group <laughs> and then Genius was dropping off the back and you're like yeah. having to make sure it's not Vanderpool dropping. Um, so yeah, basically Wild Van Aert took that opportunity to create a split because he saw maybe a few rivals in bad position. He'd rather bring Al Philippe with him than Vanderpool. Uh, and then what was the next? They pretty much rode together, right, Benji? And that was the right thing to do. They all just basically started rolling turns for quite a while. Yeah, and like I think Fulsang was already off the back. Wellens was off the back. Yep. Greg Van Avermaet was off the back. Greg Van Avermaet looking extremely weak all of a sudden because it looked like he well, was he following himself. and then, yeah, he, he like, boom, and, and was done. Genuinely, completely yeah. done. And the thing is, like, this front group, including Van Aert, Van der Poel, Pogacar, Pitcock, Jeunets, Babit, and then Jeunets dropped, Bernal, Simmons, Alaphilippe, and Goggle. Well, it led to that group staying ahead for quite a bit. Like a good 20 seconds ahead of another group, including Fulsang, Wellens, and I think two riders from Quebec as well, Clark and Robert Power. Extremely strong ride as a team by Quebec, by the way, today. We mentioned it on the preview part that this is an underrated team for these Hill Classics, and they will show that on Amstel as well, I think. But all in all, it kind of changed as well when Quinn Simmons had a puncture. He, uh, yeah, that, that bike change, that tire change was awful to look at. Genuinely, yeah. it took like decades. But I guess this is the story of rim brakes versus disc brakes. Am I dropping this in here? Yeah, you are. Like everyone, it's a meme at this point, but it's a legitimate discussion, which I don't know why everyone, a lot of people, uh, disc fans, refuse to acknowledge that during races like this, having a wheel change take that long means your race is over. And you're going to have to, on a dry day where uh, Cancellara, Wow, Van Aert and Co have won Strade no problem on rim brake before. Um, you're gonna have to have a pretty convincing argument that disc provides a significant performance advantage uh, to offset the risk of your race being thrown in the bin by having a disc, having to change a disc wheel. So that's my thoughts on it. Um, I think it's kind of BS, really. Like he. That kind of stuffed his Strade up a little bit, but then he, he was strong enough to get back into Group Two. Now, uh, apparently, he must, people think he must have been drafting Car Benji because he got back <laughs> there so quick. Uh, Simmons into that Group Two, but just to recap, we have our I think quote unquote race defining lead group with most of the favourites: Wal van Aert, Mathieu van der Poel, Tari Pagacha, Julien Alaphilippe, Egan Bernal, Tom Pidcock and Michael Goggle. And yeah, as Benji said, Goggle is already almost a meme, but he's done well at Strade before and he's he turns up in these sort of races. Sometimes. I was going to mention it. Well, I was yes. going to mention it a tiny bit later. The fact that at a certain point, we saw that there was a bit of a split in that front group. The moment that I think it was Van der Poel moving up in the group, setting a pretty high pace, and we saw it all of a sudden that Van Aert was off the back. Yes, Pitcock, that's it. And I was... I was genuinely surprised because Van Aert before that was pacing at like mayhem on the Monte Santa Marie. And at that point, he looked to be having a very weak moment. And that's where I think the commentator said it. Uh, we had the 2020 TDF winner, Bogachar. We had the 2019 TDF winner, Bernal. We had the world champion, Alaphilippe. We also had RVV winner of 2020, Vanderpool and Michael Goggle. <laughs> Best sentence ever. <laughs> it was crazy. 
I know. It was crazy how strong. That's why people like Strata so much. Having all these names we've just read out in a lead group in a one-day classic. Uh, and I think that is the next segment of the race we should focus on. They are pretty much just rolling turns with each other. Um, everyone working, Ineos working. They had the, the only team with a numerical advantage, Peacock and Bernal, but neither of them as strong as Alaphilippe Wavanart or Van der Poel. So rolling turns. And then, yeah, it was a Van der Poel acceleration, not an attack, followed by Alaphilippe okay. And, Wout van Aert was gone, Benji. And then I think Van der Poel knew that maybe Wout van Aert, they weren't lying about his legs uh, not being not being so good. Uh, but what is the next, yeah, what's the next phase of the race that you, you think, Benji? When was that Van der Poel acceleration, the first one, um, that split this race up again? Well, I can't pronounce this, this section's name. It was, was it the last one? I think it was El Tolfe, El... Something like that? Letolfe. Letolfe. Okay, that's it. Letolfe, we had a section where it it's kind of special because going into this section, you go into a bit of a descent before it kicks up quite like a wall. Yeah. All of a sudden. Per- perfect for Van der Poel. Exactly. Because you have obviously a pretty good speed already. Yeah, Van der Poel is the god of acceleration. And it's also kind of the same for Alaphilippe. So when those two accelerate, it's really hard for the others to try and follow. And I think we, we had a textbook acceleration from both, well, first Vanderpool with a, a thermonuclear attack. I'm going to call it that because, <laughs> like, he stood up and boom, he was gone. Alaphilippe could not respond at all. Bernal was attempting to follow Alaphilippe, who was attempting to follow Vanderpool. The gap was instantly quite huge. And the rest was basically gone, like not getting 10 seconds into the rest instantly. And yeah, it was near crazy. the top, yeah, near the top, we saw that he had oh, a, good, a good 25, 30 meter gap, I think, on Alaphilippe, who had a bit of a second wind on top and was like, I'm going to catch that wheel. And that's where a bit of a decision started happening for Alaphilippe because he came to the wheel, Vanderpool looked back and was like, come on, it's your turn, take over. And Alaphilippe did not take over. And that is the only reason, I think, that Bernal was able to come back to that. that yes. You yes. have a bit of doubt in Alaphilippe there, if he should take over. I don't think I don't think it was doubt. I don't think it was doubt. Yeah, okay. Well, okay. So Latolfe, as Benji said, you hit this wall. Perfect for the bigger guys. I think someone, correct me if I'm wrong, Cancellara had attacked, has attacked there before. Him and Sagan might maybe have gone head-to-head there before in 2016. Um, and we saw that Van der Poel's acceleration no matter how hard anyone tried, no one can match it for four, for the four, 400 metres he is accelerating. Yep. You have to claw him back. And I think Alaphilippe was gassed, bridging across to him. And I don't. he was like, I cannot pull through, let alone attack. So I don't think he was trying to play coy at that point, Alaphilippe. I think he was cooked. And, or not cooked, but he'd been put on the limit by that Van der Poel attack, which is like, Van der Poel is actually built different compared to he or she, Pogaccia, Roglic, sort of puncher, Mike Woods acceleration. We're talking different levels here with Van der Poel going up a short power hill like that. Bernal, yep, bridged across, but I thought he was going to because Alaphilippe, even if he wasn't gassed, tactically should sit on Van der Poel. If Wavonard is off the back, then Alaphilippe just wants this to come together to theoretically to the base of the Piazza climb. And so Van der Poel should pull. 
because he should then try and attack Alaphilippe later. So I thought Bernal was always going to come back still crazy strong from Egan Bernal. Like he did well at Trofeo La Guelia. If you saw that midweek race in uh, earlier in the week, it's near Genoa maybe. Um, looked crazy strong there. And now we have our trio at the at the front of the race. Bernal, Alaphilippe and Van der Poel. What a trio. World champ, cyclocross world champ and Tour de France 2019 champ. 10Ks to go. Bernal wasn't pulling, probably because he was tired, but mostly because it tactically made sense. Pidcock behind with Wavenart, Goggle, and Pagacha. Pagacha, really strong race. And Pidcock wasn't pulling. So there's the numerical advantage yep. for Ineos. Benji, why did Bernal begin to pull with the gap at 15 seconds, 18 seconds, with about 5Ks to go? Why? Probably Britain was upside down at that moment because they were like, Bernal, why are you not waiting on Pitcock? Pitcock can easily <laughs> outsprint everybody on, on the Siena wall. Sorry. But Sorry. honestly, I think in realism, I think that they know if if you can't follow like that on El Tolfe, Le Tolfe, something like that. <laughs> I'm going to ruin that name forever. If you can't attack on that section or follow at least the attacks that happen, then it's very unrealistic that that rider is also going to be able to follow the same riders that get away from him on that climb on the next wall in the race. It's it's unrealistic. And despite Pitcock having a godlike acceleration, being a strong puncher, he's he's just ridden a crazy race already. I don't think he had anything left. And I think Bernal knows that. And I think Bernal probably was like, yeah, it's unrealistic that Pitcock, who just dropped massively twice already, by the way, because he also dropped with Fanad earlier, that he has anything left more than me, perhaps. And I think it was a good decision that Bernal started pacing. I don't think it would have been a good decision to wait because they're destined for podium either way. And perhaps they might not have podiumed if Bernal waited in that sense. I so, agree. If, yeah. if they if they wait, if they wait, then I think Alaphilippe and uh, Van der Poel, if they come back together, they would smoke everyone up the climb. And then Wav Van Aert and Pagacha might beat Bernal and, and then you'll send up goggle. with no one on the podiums. Yeah, I'll goggle to go. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it made sense. At a certain point, you, you're going to have a field day with this. At a certain point, the uh, organizer, or no, the broadcaster, the host broadcaster, decided to show full sang, taking a corner in a third, second group at that point. Very, third very, group. very strolling through the, uh, through the Italian woods. And uh, boom, Vanderpool has a gap. What? Yeah, I know. So annoying. So there's this right-hand corner. I've pointed it out in previous videos. It like doubles back on itself, and there's a lip. It's it's pretty sketchy corner. Um, and anyway, Full Sang's in a group with Bill Bow and Simon Clark, like two minutes behind, and they're showing you. You've literally, as I said, got the world champ, cyclocross world champ, and Tour de France previous champ, previous yeah champion in a group. This is all you've ever wanted. You're putting on this race. This is like a dream for a race organizer. And you're showing these these fucking images from two minutes behind. This is in the last three Ks, and you missed the attack of Vanderpool in the last three Ks on the descent. He's attacked because Alaphilippe had stopped pulling Benji, and I thought it was smart. Alaphilippe's like, well, i got a big enough gap, an art group. If they even catch us, they're going to be cooked, and I can dust them off in the Siena climb. I gotta make sure that Vanderpool doesn't attack me on this descent. So Alaphilippe was laying off, not pulling. Bernal was doing a lot of work, actually. I think just wanting the podium, as you mentioned. And Vanderpool attacked. We don't know where exactly, but they managed. I think Bernal pulled him back. Alaphilippe made Bernal pull him back. 
Yeah. Which, surprising, and maybe indicative of what was to come, Benji. Um, so it brought Van der Poel back, 1,500 to go. Alaphilippe, I was thinking, oh, he's played this so smart. He's made Bernal work too much. Van der Poel's had to attack just in the last two minutes before the final climb. He, this is really good for Alaphilippe. Van der Poel begins pacing 1,500 metres out under the Flamrouge, still pacing. Alaphilippe second wheel, Bernal third wheel. They start the climb proper, turn left, and they r- turn right. Then they're on like the steep section. You know what I mean, up to Siena, uh, up to the Piazza del Campo, where all the photographers are lining on the right right and left. And Van der Poel's just going his pace. And you've got to remember, this climb is not so long, uh, and it flattens off at the top, 500 metres of flat at the top, and a descent. And so Van der Poel's going his pace. No one's attacked him. Alaphilippe maybe goes to the right-hand side of the road. And with maybe 300 metres left of the climb proper, Van der Poel actually thermo-biblical attack. Like, <laughs> I've done some mean titles in my videos before, but this is probably the craziest attack I've ever seen. Just full-blown as if he's going up those ramps in the Cyclocross World Champs and the sandy place near Benji's house. He lit this Sienna climb up like it was one of them and gapped Alaphilippe. <laughs> but no, like, Crazy. it was already over. I was like, holy shit. Because the thing is, it was like on the Tolfe acceleration. Even if Alaphilippe had great legs, he can't follow when Van der Poel is sprinting. So he needs to claw it back later. But the climb finishes. Yep. So by the time he's finished his sprint, it's flat now. And then it's very, very difficult to come back um, on the flat section. It's so twisty and strata with the descent at the end. So like, where do you rank? Is that one of the craziest accelerations you've ever seen in cycling, Benji? I think yes. Like, I can't remember too many bigger ones, to be honest. It's like... This will be uh, remembered, that's for sure. And usually yeah, on this these... This will go up these... there with Cancellara Bo- against Boonen. Yeah. It's up there for yeah. me. Certainly. I think this, this even looks more impressive, and that's from someone that lives in Flanders. <laughs> so the Tour of Flanders <laughs> is usually pretty special here. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Honestly, absolutely crazy. So it goes without saying, Van der Poel then strolls in for the win, zips the jersey up, thanks for coming, First, five seconds ahead of Alaphilippe second. They gapped Bernal, who I think knew he was never beating both of them on that finish, taking a fantastic third. Yeah. Bernal, 20 seconds back. We'll get to him in a second, Benji. We'll talk about the Giro in a second. Juan Van Aert fourth, <laughs> 51 seconds back. I think still a fantastic performance from Van Aert. He's just come off altitude. That's great. Pidcock fifth, two Ineos in the top five, 54 seconds back. Goggle sixth, Agacha seventh. Simon Clark 8th, Fulsang 9th, Bilbao 10th, Simon Carr for EF 11th, the Brit, who I think cost himself a top 10 by working too hard in the chase groups, and Robert Power 12th. Three Quebec Assos in the top 12. That is very good for them, none in the top five, but still really nice performance from them. Um, tactically in this race, Benji, did who made? Did anyone make any mistakes? Did Wavanard accelerate too early? Um, I think it's all. I think discussing tactics is almost a waste of time. If Matthew Van der Poel yep. comes to a race like this with those legs, like legit, Unbeatable. what can you do? Like <laughs> he made he made tactical mistakes. He was yep. out of position with fifty five k to go. You need a top level Wavanard of twenty twenty to beat this. 
on this platform. Yeah. And that was not there. Maybe maybe even that wouldn't be enough, honestly. I don't know. Like, I generally don't know, it, but I love it. It was crazy level. Yeah. But that's why this Strata Bianca will go down in history. I think such a diverse and strong top 10 and, yeah, just a crazy performance from Mathieu van der Poel, who's now won, uh, what's he won, Benji? Ronde von Landeren, Strata Bianca. Amstel. Cyclocross World Champs, Amstel. It's pretty good. UAE Tour Stage 1 before good. he had to leave. He was, he was going to win GC at UAE Tour. He's going to hang on on uh, feet, <laughs> we thought, <laughs> before he had to come back. Like, yeah, can we insane. talk about the fact that every single time Vanderpool wins, it's in a super extremely impressive way? Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't do average great. wins. Like, he doesn't want to do average wins. Even the UAE Tour sprint was pretty damn impressive. Like, yeah. every single one. Like the Tirreno stage last year. <laughs> bloody brilliant i don't I know, get it it's like he plans it out <laughs> i'm gonna win that i'm gonna win that in that fashion <laughs> love it I just think he, he just has so much confidence in himself tour of flanders he's yeah. like i don't need i don't need to attack wild van art i'll beat him in the sprint um <laughs> and strata today oh alf leaps the best puncher in the world you say okay <laughs> i'll just go to piazza del campo climb with him and i'll absolutely smoke him won't be a problem he said after the race, Matthew van der Poel, Strada Bianca is one of the races I really wanted to win. It's really cool to win it today. I felt pretty good, so I launched an attack in the last gravel section. Then we had a strong ride with Bernal and Alaphilippe. I had enough left in the legs to go solo in the last climb. It's amazing to finish it off this way. Well, you better make a lot of money now, Benji, while he's riding, because there won't be a big career, I don't think, in broadcast TV afterwards uh, <laughs> with van der Poel. No, it's probably a bit harsh. You probably had the mic stuck in his face straight after the race. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Bernal, third. We, we're, we're massive nerds and we go and look at Bernal's Androni years where he's coming top three in GP Industria Artigiana yeah. in like 2018. <laughs> he's always been nice in Italian races, yes. I thought. And uh, Milano Torino. Oh, no, Torino's not a good example. But, um, Montalcino. Montalcino Giro, Ben. Uh, still, a podium at Strade, does that exceed your expectations given the field today? Yeah. I um, I had that place set out for Pogacar to do it, and Pogacar couldn't do it. Bernal could. So I didn't expect that Me from too. Bernal. I'm glad he can because he's such a nice guy, like genuinely, and somehow when a rider is a nice guy, I am supporting them in whatever they do these days. <laughs> so... uh that's what I love. And he's also just the rider that he's a racing type of rider. He's not really the rider that when he's in a breakaway, he's going to play it extremely tactically. When when he's racing, he wants to race. He wants to make a fun ride and he wants to do it do it pretty cool. And I think I'm happy that he's top three here. I hope that he keeps a similar form for the Giro so that we can have a nice battle with others. Hopefully it's Won't not too good for the others. <laughs> Again, hopefully it's not too good for the others. Um, Montalcino with this form, I don't know who's going to beat him from the people that are riding for GC. You know, no, I don't, I don't see it happening. I hope, well, it's harsh to say, but I hope it rains on Montalcino, not for crash and <laughs> such. We hope to avoid crashes, but it obviously gives such heroic views. And I think Bernal would like that as well because uh, that'd be awesome. I think, yeah. I think he likes the cooler weather and 
Montalcino stage, if people don't know, it's like a Strade light stage in the Giro this year. And yeah, Cadell Evan, they had a stage like that that was extreme. It was like literally Strade, but harder than Strade in the Giro when Cadell was racing. And it's one of the craziest stages ever. Cadell uh, against Vinokurov battle. But um, yeah, yeah. They're gonna they're gonna have that stage in this year's Giro, but not as hard. And uh, Bernal, based on today, is gonna do very nicely there. Juan Van Aert, are you concerned as a Belgian Benji, or still a nice performance? And you know he's not peaking right now. Uh, honestly, like my Belgianness actually has never pulled me towards Van Aert more than Vanderpool. I don't know why, but uh, I I enjoyed it. That it is true. I love <laughs> Vanderpool and what he does because. He's, he's an extremely nice guy next to it. He's a down-to-earth guy next to it. He's honest whenever something is going pretty badly. Wout van Aert is that as well, but I don't know why, but somehow I, I was attracted more towards Van der Poel throughout their careers, which is going to get me in jail here. So this is the last podcast that I can do without um, gel bars <laughs> behind me. But uh, either way, I think, I think that Van Aert doesn't really need to be concerned. It's his first race. He can build it up. It's still a long way to go until we get to Tour of Flanders and such. We've got uh, Tireno first, his first try at GC. I don't think that's going to happen with <laughs> this form, <laughs> honestly. Like, it, it won't be terrible, but I don't believe he can hang on to the big climbs like this. But he no. could be wrong, but I don't see it happening. And after that, we've got Sierra We've got the classic starting, which means that it's not directly going towards Tour of Flanders and Roubaix. He's got time. He can get there. And I think if he's on this level already, it's going to be pretty close when it really matters so yeah i'm not worried one of arts i think priority for this year when he looked when he wrote down his goals or if he writes down goals with Jumbo visma was to win tour of flanders or roubaix or both world um, championships well in flanders mate and world championships at benji's house so strade obviously love to win it coming fourth and he won it last year but I don't think it's – they structured his season in such a way that he wasn't put in the pl- best place to win Strade because no. we love it as a race, but it, it isn't a monument and it's at the start of the big one-day classics. Should it season. be a monument? Don't start. We're not starting that. <laughs> People can do that elsewhere. Um, Alaphilippe Benji, what do you think about his performance today? Did he? I don't think he put too much – wrong tactically and and i think i've noticed this when he's racing with Juan van art and thunderpool he like doesn't mess around you don't see him doing the weird stuff he's like yeah. focused alifully have you noticed that or am i just imagining it well it depends because vanderpool was also in in liege last year he didn't ride that well but he did some weird stuff there that's for sure but <laughs> like uh in in this race it was noticeable but i did see it seemed like shoulder barging a few people just before they got uh, to uh <laughs> to the start okay. of like 60 kilometers to go. <laughs> i was like what are you doing alafali what are you doing this is unnecessary i think it was goggle that he was trying to shoulder barge uh, <laughs> that's not work. Was, i think it might have been rob standard actually oh, okay uh, yeah okay, okay yeah I know that because, yeah, I was like, why are you doing this? Um, but he tactically he was in good position. He followed Wout van Aert's move. He was right there. He didn't have to expend extra energy. He laid off Van der Poel, followed his attack, which Bernard closed down. Um, I think he didn't really put a foot wrong, and he just got beaten by the better guy today. Yep. So I think so as well. That's really a more simple race in a sense than the women's race. But we hope you enjoyed it. Um, 
our recap of the Strada Bianca men's race. If you want to listen to our women's Strada Bianca, if you're listening on YouTube, separate YouTube video, but otherwise, stick around now for the women's Strada recap. The women's Strada Bianca, 136-kilometer course, very similar final 10 to 15 kilometers, if not more, for the women. It's the same as the men's course. They've still got La Tolfe climb as well as the iconic climb up to Siena to Piazza del Campo with 500 metres at like 12% on the paving stones. So it's good. I like that in a sense because it's you can compare and contrast the finales uh, between the men's and the women's to see how the different tactics play out. Start list, super strong for the women's. Van Leuten, returning winner. Anna van der Breggen. In app, probably the best rider in the world at the moment in magic form. Mavi Garcia did well last year. Utrup Ludwig, good at Emilia on a hard finish. Cavalli, Mariana Vos can never be counted out. SD Works, absolutely stacked. We already mentioned that in previous <laughs> previous <laughs> podcast. Nee Fisher Black, Vandenbroek Black, uh, Mulman Pasio, Cicchini, Vollering, obscene, obscene team. Elise Longo Borghini, Van Dyke, Cordon Rigaud is a pretty nice team from Trek, maybe the second strongest all-round. Lippert and DSM, Lippert probably their leader, maybe with Flochi Mackay, Niwiadoma, Barnes, uh, Michaela Harvey for Canyon Shram, and Branauer, probably the leader for Chera Tizit, WNT Pro Cycling. I missed anyone out, Benji, from the favourites um, that you thought was a chance today. No, I don't really think so. I think those are the names that we were looking at beforehand. And throughout the race, it looked like it slowly but surely folded that way. But there were also some names up there that we not didn't necessarily see as the ultimate favorites in the end. So that's the course. That's the main start list. Live pictures started with about 40 minutes left in the race. Obviously a shame. Um, it's got to be, it, it should be 90 minutes plus, preferably, especially with a race like Strade. So we can't speak with too much depth and confidence about what happened before that, but we've got coverage. We found info via other ways what happened in the uh, race before that 40. So Benji will run you through that now uh, and bring you up to where the race really kicked off in the last 25. Yes, before that actually happened, before the last 25 kilometers we had, Plenty of action already, groups opening up, groups attacking, riders attacking solo, duos attacking. And the first duo that really shined in the race was Nefisher Black attacking and then Kopecky joining that. But, um, well, if they were riding both in their original jersey, they'd have both have purple jerseys, but obviously that's not the case with Kopecky being Belgian champ. So it wasn't an issue here to recognize who is who. Thank God, indeed. But um, a bit later, that group got taken back and another group started to attack. Uh, they got away with like I think eight riders, including Mavi Garcia, Eric. We had Chapman, on Dyke, and so forth. And eventually, that group once again came back to the peloton because the peloton started splitting up on the sandy sections. And peloton split in two parts. The first part moved its way up, and that second part was gone for the rest of the race. So that never really came back. But none of the really big names were missing out here. I felt like because eventually it led to a group of fifteen leaders. Mariano Vos, Lotte Kopecky, Mavi Garcia, Black, Van Dijk, Van Vleuten, Cecilia Trupp-Ludwig, we had Niewodoma, Stilzins, we had Follering, Elisa Longoborghini, Van der Bergen, Spratt, Moman Pasio, and Cavalli. So multiple riders from multiple teams, for example, Cavalli and Trupp-Ludwig in there as well, and obviously quite a few names of SD Works as well. So yeah, 
those teams had multiple riders. Trek as well with Van Dijk and Longo Borghini. And then if we look further into the race, we we actually started seeing some decent attacks at a certain point. And it all kind of started with a move by Chantal van der Broek-Black on the uh, right side of the road. And Annemiek van Vleuten was the first person to react to that. And I felt like at that point, van Vleuten showed that she did not have the legs to catch Chantal van der Broek-Black there. There was just not enough energy in there. And it looked like she was trying. So either she completely faked that or not, depending on what happens in the rest of the race, of course. But at that point, I was like, oh my God, Van Vleuten might actually not be where I expect her to be today. And she could not close Van der Broek-Black or decided not to close Van der Broek-Black there. Kopecky was the next one to bridge. And eventually that attack by Black was taken back. But, well, it looked like Van Vleuten threw a bit of sand. Let's stay in the Strade Bianche form here. She threw a bit of sand in the eyes of the others and myself here because I was not expecting her to attack at any point at that point after that a bit of a rejection to trying to catch Chantal van der Broek-Black there. And surprisingly, on the section that fits her the best, an uphill section, uh, also gravel roads again, she decided to attack. And, well, it's the typical von Vleuten attack, basing hard at the front of Peloton on an uphill section so that others need to perform extreme what to try and follow. And it looked like a few could follow, and that included Kopecky first, who seemed to be one of the stronger riders in the race at that point once again after earlier on being in the breakaway and then also Mariana Voss but Kopecky unfortunately had a puncture which is a sad part here at first I was like oh my god she's yeah she's got a chasse patate as they say it in uh in Dutch and French and eventually she had to drop back because of that puncture was completely out of the race but yeah two riders were off Mariana Voss and we also had the uh Van Vleuten off the road and at that point did you think that attack was going to make the decisive move for the race or do you think that the second group was going to be able to catch back up no I didn't think it was going to stick because for a few reasons so what are we with like oh 12 case to go Benji 11 case to go there'd been a few softening attacks as Benji mentioned from Lundenbrook Black and Co but the leaders were all pretty much keeping their powder dry. Van der Breggen, Lisa, Bo- uh, Lisa Longo-Borghini had attacked once, but she can attack multiple times. So the fact that people were fresh behind and there were so many favourites, as well as SD Works having yeah. numbers, having uh, following Van der Breggen and Chantal Van der Broek-Black and Mulman Passio as well, uh, which is kind of terrifying, as well as <laughs> probably got their whole team <laughs> The whole team in the group just about. I had those four riders. And as well, Mariana Voss was sitting on. So do you think that was the right thing to do for Mariana Voss to sit on Van Vleuten at that point with 10, 11 Ks to go? They've gone clear of the SD Works, Trek, FDJ, uh, I guess, power structure behind them, neither Voss nor Van Vleuten having other teammates. And I think it's pretty clear that Van Vleuten doesn't have the legs right now to the level she did last year where she was just imperious. If you were Voss, would you have sat on Benji? Would you have contributed 30%, 50-50? What would you have done Or if you were her DS? Well, at least 30%, I feel. Perhaps 50%, I don't know. I think that Mariana Voss has a pretty good uphill kick as well. So I wouldn't be scared in the situation of Mariana Voss here. Perhaps it looked like she kind of 
expected Van Vleuten to be on a higher level or something when she was with her, or she had trouble already on the climb before and decided, oh, if I if I end up having to beat Van Vleuten in the end, I need to have energy more, then that decision is understandable. But it looked like she was in okay shape, and it looked like they both were in relatively okay shape at that point. So if I was, yeah, if I was Mariana Vos in that situation, I likely would have made the decision to work together with Van Vleuten because, as you say, as the works is behind, that's the main competitor. Like the entire team yeah. is the main competitor for you because that is the the team you need to kind of kick out of the race to have a one v one battle against the others. And you are in that situation. Then you've got a bit of a gap, and it was a pretty serious gap at a certain point. I think twenty seconds max there. Yeah. So fifteen. Yeah. It was solidly yeah. fifteen with ten k's to go, and then I think Van Vleuten maybe just stopped pacing so hard. I, I don't know. I mean. Another thing I didn't understand behind was a lot of the team teammates or riders like Nui Adoma and uh, Spratt, I think without teammates in the group, were helping SD Works or doing a lot of the pacing, particularly yeah. Nui Adoma. And if I'm them, nah, I'm saying, I'm looking <laughs> at Bob DeBregan and saying, no, you're going to have to chase Voss yeah. and Van Vleuten. Um, you have to. And... I think that was a bit of a mistake from Nivea Doma, who made it cost herself a podium position for this race. But either Van Vleuten chilled out and was like, oh, I'm going to just end up bringing Voss to the line or I'm wasting my time here, or maybe the coordinated chase, the chase behind was too coordinated. But they got caught with nine Ks to go, and we had a group of 12 leading into Siena. Um, all with all, pretty much all the favourites. They stayed together for a few more Ks, and I thought... SD Works were going to ride it in Benji. I thought mm-hmm. what I thought they were going to do was pace with Van der Black on the front and then in up to Siena, keep it all together and then up to the final climb, set pace on the climb really hard with Vollering and then either Van der Breggen could let her wheel go or Van der Breggen could attack over the top of her. I think that was a pretty like fail well safe on. strategy. Yeah, exactly, like Flesh Volon, except this year they're on the same team. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it was pretty successful at Flesh Volon instead of Underbreak having to pace the whole time. But they didn't elect to do that. Now, what they and what they did make sense too, they were like, well, Follering and Vanderbregen are going to be super strong on the climb. Let's we still got riders with multiple teammates in this group, Cavalli with... Uh, Utrup Ludwig, Utrup Ludwig got to respect her on a climb like that. Super light, good as Giro de Emilia. Uh, Van Vleuten's still there. Voss might have still been there, Nui Adoma. So SD Works were like, let's use our strength in numbers. And they attacked again with 6Ks to go with Chantal Van den Broek Black, winner of Flanders last year, winner of World Championships previously. And I think SD Works were saying, well, Van den Broek Black is not a, uh, not even our first or second best on the final climb. So let's spend her energy. But then Elisa Longaborghini bridged to her really quickly. Yeah. The Italian champion has started to work for her. So if your SD works, you think they did the right thing, Benji, then telling Chantal Vandenbroek Black to sit on Elisa Longaborghini. And was Ellen Van Dyke still in that group? Uh, I think she uh, was. Like, was still in that group, yes. She even Do you tried think Longaborghini made the right decision? Um... I believe that, yeah, I believe she did. Yeah, I think uh, I so too. She did make the right decision to bridge up. I think that she also made the right decision to start working with Vulnerable Black. I 
if I was in the position of SD Works, I'd start to panic right now because you've got Chantal van der Brugelak with Elisa Longo-Borghini in the front group. On paper, I'd give that to Elisa Longo-Borghini. But the benefit Everyone was... Everyone did. Yeah. SD Works did. Yeah. Uh, but, like, yep. I feel like I in this situation that if van der Brugelak obviously forces Longo-Borghini to do most of the work, then it's going to benefit on the blog, but still, I would still not trust the situation. And like you say, as D Works didn't either, they started attacking, right? Well, they started first, they started soft, it got out to 20 seconds, and SD Works yeah. were like, Whoa, 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 20 seconds <laughs> with three, four Ks. This was supposed to just be a softening attack to make Marta Cavalli and Nui Adoma chase. This wasn't supposed to have maybe our biggest contender bridge across and now be clear 20 seconds ahead this is not going to plan and i think now you could characterize it as sd works doing what the dutch women did in the 2016 or 18 world championships can't remember or maybe it was the european championships where they they chase sd works because that forces longer borghini to keep working hard with vulnerable black sitting on if FD Works stopped pacing, Nui Adoma was tired. She was not working anymore. Cavalli, yeah. well, we'll talk about FDJ in a second. But if SD Works don't chase, that gap goes out to 50, 45 seconds. Longo Borghini then has a kilometer before the Flamme Rouge to maybe recover before the climb. And that's not a good, that's not good for Chantal Vandenbroek-Black. So it's either genius 5,000 IQ for SD Works <laughs> that they chase to create the illusion of pressure and to keep it close on Longo Borghini, or, which is what I think was happening, Van der Breggen and the Vollering realized they didn't have a good situation that they, not the ideal, opt- it's a fine situation, but not the best situation to win the race with Van der Black up the road with Longo Borghini. So then Van der Breggen pulled for a bit, and then Vollering attacked, um, trying to bridge across. That didn't really go anywhere. We've got two Ks to go. And then... For FDJ, who've got Cavalli and yeah. Ludwig in the group, they started. attacked with Cavalli. You, I know you've got a, I know you've got a strong view on this. Two Ks to go, Cavalli attacking, not pace. Yeah, I, uh, I believe that I've, I've shouted at the screen for the last two and a half kilometers because I was like, Cavalli's in that group. Richard Ludwig has been riding this race pretty easily. It looked like so she was not in trouble at. Yeah. Many of the situations, she was not in a situation where she was with Von Vleuten or Marion Voss. Perhaps it was a decision to stay with Anna van der Bregen and such. But I feel that in the last five kilometers, we see that Cavalli is in that group. She attacks three, four times, I think, from that group with spiky attacks where she's getting a bit of a gap, then she gets caught. Get a bit of a gap, then she gets caught. If during that whole situation, instead of doing those attacks, she paces, then they don't even get to the point where they have 20 seconds because they only got to 20 seconds because there was a situation where those two riders were gone and in the group behind, for at least like half a minute, nobody was pacing. Nobody. We had Anna van der Breggen at the front of the group just, yeah, obviously stopping the pace. And then you would expect Cavalli to move to the front and start pacing, but she decided to move on the right side of the road she wanted to attack. She got stuck behind the rider at a certain point. Could not attack in that situation. But she should not have been trying to attack. Should have been trying to pace. I don't get it. Like, she's there. I'm, I'm going to make a bit of a horse show because Cavalli, of course. But two riders 
betting on two riders, betting on two horses is not ideal in this situation. You gotta sacrifice one for the other. And if you're in a situation like FDG was in these last five kilometers, you sacrifice Cavalli, in my opinion, for Utrecht Ludwig. So you keep the tempo high. Obviously, it's not an ideal situation because you're bridging up Anna van der Breggen and Demi Vollering and so forth all to that final climb. But it's the only situation in which you as a team still have a chance of winning the race. Because at this point, you don't. And yeah, I believe that they blew that. And I believe that they could have had a better result if if they didn't. Uh, if they, well, I agree. I agree. And then going to the last 1,500 meters, this climb, it starts gradually. It, it sneaks up on riders. You know, they had a 15-second gap with 1,500 meters to go. Lisa Longoborghini leading out Chantal, Chantal Vandenbroek-Black, who's not helped her for five or six kilometers uh, up to this point. The climb's gradual, and 15 seconds is not that big for this climb. If you blow up on this climb, you get, you can get caught if there's a concerted chase behind you. Going into it, I thought, oh, no. I thought maybe SD Works had done a quick step 2015. Um, they got onto the climb. Van der Breggen starts pacing really hard behind them the minute they get onto the climb. But Elisa Longoborghini leads Chantal, Chantal van der Breggen onto the steep section, up to the 16% pinch into Siena. And Vandenbroek Black just absolutely dusted her. <laughs> the, the Flanders winner last year. Picked yep. the steepest moment. I think she got a read on Elisa Longoborghini. Kicked to her right-hand side up to Siena, Piazza del Campo. And put a massive gap into her very, very quickly. I thought Vandenbroek was even going to be starting to close down um, Chantal Vandenbroek Black. But she wasn't. She wasn't able to. It was still a very solid gap at the finish. I think she did the climb at a decent pace. So Chantal Vandenbroek Black, the surprise winner of Strada Bianca 2021 Women's Edition. Longo Borghini holding on to second, seven seconds behind. And that is just a reflection of how difficult this race is and even the last seven kilometers that even if on paper you're the better climber, lighter smaller rider for that finish if you've been having to do a lot of work and Shanta van der Broek Black had to do a lot of work, a fair bit of work but it was earlier attacks in the 10 15k to go region you know you can't you can still lose this race van der Breggen third two SD works two Dutch riders in the podium nine seconds behind van der Broek Black van Vleuten kept riding hard to the line and yep. came fourth just ahead of Ludwig who sat up who should have got fourth she came fifth Vollering sixth Mariana Voss, second group, seventh, 23 seconds back. Cavalli, eighth, 27 seconds back, proving Benji's point that even if she had bridged, she wouldn't have been good enough on the climb anyway. Nuvia Doma, ninth, and Ellen van Dijk, tenth. Um, and just, I was going to say, Benji, I thought they were SD Works were going to quick step 2015. It, it all ended <laughs> up rosy for them. But, yep. and I was saying that live in, in the, um, to people on instant messenger and i don't think i was wrong this is a quote from chantal vandenbroek black after the finish i'm surprised and extremely happy this was not the plan but my win is due to teamwork <laughs> i had the instruction from the team to not ride at the front i didn't think i'd drop alicia longo borghini in the final climb but i did <laughs> this is a very big day in my cycling Jesus. career so i love it I love it. So it just yeah. it goes to show that she had fantastic legs. She said that after the race, but um, 
I feel like SD Works played with fire t- today, Benji, and <laughs> it could have backfired. Um, but <laughs> yes. what an addition. Any any other tactical things you'd want to point out that SD Works did well, other teams didn't do well, um, et cetera? How, how did you think this final 10 kilometers could have played out differently? Or what, No, sorry. The point I'm trying to make is, Benji, what could someone else have done to make SD Works not win today? Hmm. That's actually a difficult question. It's a big question. (laughs) If I had the answer, I'd be the yes at at one of those teams at this point. Trek would would give you a contract. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've got the answer, but I do have the answer to the fact that, well, it's not an answer, but it's just an obvious fact that I'm going to once again prevail here. I'm going to uh, announce that once again, it's a teamwork and the over-dominance by SD Works that brings them to these situations. because. It's the only team that has four or five riders in those kind of groups up up there always. And every time they do that, they've got so many candidates to punch in an attack on the left, punch in an attack on the right. And the other teams just don't have enough riders to combat that. And there's... But go back 50k. Not even the finish. Sending Nee Fisher Black into a break with Kopecky, you've got to respect those two riders. And that meant, I presume, we didn't see the images, I presume they got to chill and didn't have to chase. So that, yep. that kept their, their riders then four in the finish fresh for the finale. Um, so it's all day dominance. And I don't know what you can do. I, honestly, I think Elisa Longoborghini played it right. I think on a different day, she might have been better than... Um, yep. Yeah, better than Vandam Black. The problem was, Benji... If if she waited another, she she eased up in the last fifteen hundred to um, get some rest. Well, she only beat Vanderbregen by two seconds, so that's the problem. You rest yep. up, you get caught by Anna Vanderbregen, Murderhoid dominance that applies here to the same finish in Siena. So I think Trek did a pretty good job. Uh, Voss, do you think Voss has lost a bit, Benji? Um, and it's she's not able she's just not at that level anymore and maybe needs a an easier climb and an easier race and more of a sprint finish yeah perhaps that's the answer to this uh, perhaps the attack of Vosan van Vleuten would have been the attack that could have brought this race forward with SD works being in more trouble there because in that situation if Vos actually worked like we mentioned earlier then that group would have stayed way longer but obviously that did not happen and the rest came back. And that's the only situation in which SD Works was not at the front of the race today. So uh, I think that's the only moment that they could have sidelined SD Works a bit. But then again, they've got four riders at the back, possible to chase, then yeah. I don't think that would have won the race, but I think it would have forced forced SD Works with 15Ks to go or 12Ks to go to do some work and burn Vandenbroek Black or Vollering. Because Vollering didn't look crash hot today. Yep. Um, she she got beaten by Ludwig. I think Vollering, yeah, it would have forced SD Works to do something and maybe another team could have attacked. I think Ludwig did exactly what she needed to do. I, obviously, she yep. didn't ride it for fourth, but for Ludwig to win, she has to mark van der Breggen all day. Smart. That's exactly what I would do if I was her and hope I get lucky or something goes my way in the finish where you know she's going to be i think top three 
if they all came together after an easy race on that Sienna finish, she's in it with a really, really good shot for the podium. Um, so I think she played it right today, and I agree with your comments about Cavalli. I think if Cavalli had ridden it in Benji, then they catch Elisa Longoborghini, then Van der Breggen probably still comes second, and then Ludwig and should the have been. Yeah, then Ludwig would have been sprinting for third for the podium. Yep. Um, so I think that actually did make a difference. But pretty exciting. I mean, not pretty. I, th- I thought that was a really, really exciting yep. uh, last 25Ks, Benji, or 20Ks that we got to watch. Uh, shame it wasn't more. But um, yeah, a lot, like, just a, a lot tactically to think about. Like, do you prefer these big groups compared to the men's is usually uh, sometimes three or four riders? I don't know, because like it, it depends on the edition as well. I think last year we had an extreme edition in Strade men's True. and women's, women's Strade as well, to be honest, where it's just singular riders everywhere. And a few years ago, 2017, we had a Strade men's edition where it was basically an entire group that went into the last 10 kilometers and Kwiatkowski decided to attack. And yeah, the race was pretty much over. So I don't know. It, it really depends on the decision. I, I prefer the ones where we can either go for something extremely cool happening, like last year in Strade Mens, which wouldn't, was not necessarily the most tactical victory by Vanat. He was just plainly the strongest in an, a race of attrition. And then you have something like today in the women's race, where it's more tactical. Like, those two are the two I like. I don't really have a preference one over the other. That's that's what I like seeing. I just don't like a boring race. And we didn't get that just today, so that's awesome. Yeah. This women's race is exactly the same as men's strade 2013 when liquid gas sent moreno moza <laughs> yes. up the road when they had peter sagan he was like the shortest favorite i.e anna van der Breggen. and they sent moreno moza in a break up the road it meant sagan got to sit in and chill and then moza ended up winning <laughs> it's really surprisingly attacked because he's moza then sat on the breakaway guys because yes. same like Vandenbroek Black did on Elisa Longo-Borghini, dusted them all off in the finish, and then Sagan like absolutely launched up the final climb and got on the podium as well, I think. Um, so it's it's a tried and trusted tactic if you've got team strength and the strongest rider in the race. It seems to be, and this is what Wout Van Aert doesn't have, and this is why SD Works are going to continue being so successful this season, it's because this tactic is almost impossible to combat. If you can throw riders in a break or in attacks who are not just sacrificial lambs, who are good enough to win the race themselves, and you've still got the strongest rider behind, I mean, I'm going to have to go and do some deep dives if I'm and think about how other riders can win this race <laughs> or win races if they're not named SD Works because, yeah, it's tough. But I hope you enjoyed this recap. We really, we really enjoyed doing it, and uh, we'll see you for the next one. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 